0: Friends, so we'll be headed to Toddler Nursery and Children's Church to be dismissed at this time. Those of you who will be remaining in the sanctuary, uh, please turn to Leviticus chapter 20. Leviticus chapter 20. Just as a reminder from the few warnings I've given over the past several weeks, And if you're a visitor with us and have not been here to hear those warnings, Leviticus 20, like Leviticus 18, has some pretty sensitive subject matter in it. But we're reminded from Timothy that all of Scripture is inspired by God. It's useful and beneficial to us. And so we will find the benefit even in uncomfortable topics this morning. So Leviticus chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, you shall also say to the sons of Israel, any man from the sons of Israel or from the aliens sojourning in Israel who gives any of his offspring to Molech surely shall be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I will also set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given some of his offspring to Molech so as to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. And if the people of the land, however, should ever disregard that man when he gives any of his offspring to Molech so as to not put him to death, then I myself will set my face against that man and against his family, and I will cut him off from among their people, both him and all those who play the harlot after him by playing the harlot after Molech. As for the person who turns to mediums and to spiritists to play the harlot after them, I will set my face against that person and I will cut him off from among his people. You shall consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my statutes and practice them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. If there is anyone who curses his father or his mother, he shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father, or his mother, his blood guiltiness is upon him. If there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. If there is a man who lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. If there is any man who lies with his daughter in law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed incest. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. If there is any man who lies with a male, as those who lie with a woman, both of them have committed a detestable act. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. If there is a man who marries a woman and her mother, it is immorality. Both he and they shall be burned with fire so that there will be no immorality in your midst. If there is a man who lies with an animal, he shall surely be put to death. You shall also kill the animal. If there is a woman who approaches an animal to mate with it, you shall kill the woman and the animal. They shall both surely be put to death. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. If there is a man who takes his sister, his father's daughter, or his mother's daughter... So that he sees her nakedness and she sees his nakedness. It is a disgrace and they shall be cut off in the sight of the sons of their people. He has uncovered his sister's nakedness. He bears his guilt. There's a man who lies with a menstruous woman and uncovers her nakedness. has laid bare her flow and she has exposed the flow of her blood. Both of them shall be cut off from among their people. You shall also not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister or your father's sister. For such a one has made uh, naked his blood relative and they shall bear their guilt. If there's a man who lies with his uncle's wife, he has uncovered his uncle's nakedness, and they shall bear their sin, they shall die childless. If there's a man who takes his brother's wife, it is abhorrent, he has uncovered his brother's nakedness, they shall be childless. You are therefore to keep all my statutes and all my ordinances, and to do them, so that the land to which I am bringing you to live will not spew you out. Moreover, you shall not follow the customs of the nation which I will drive out before you. For they did all of these things, and therefore I abhorred them. Hence, I have said to you, you are to possess their land, and I myself will give it to you to possess it, a land flowing with milk and with honey. I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples. You are therefore to make a distinction between the clean animal and the unclean, between the unclean bird and the clean, and you shall shall not make yourselves detestable by animal or by bird or anything that creeps on the ground, which I have separated for you as unclean. Thus, you are to be holy to me, for I, am, I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from the peoples to be mine. Now, a man or a woman who is a medium or a spiritist shall surely be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones. Their blood guiltiness will be upon them. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for its truth. Father, thank you for the challenging things that your text has to say to us. Thank you for the glory of Christ that we will see. In it, in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, um, a lot of different angles that you could take with a text like this one. But I I want it to follow up from last time in Leviticus 19 and, and basically Jesus, our holiness, part two. So this is the third injunction from the book of Leviticus for people to be holy. We we have that phrase and it's quoted in the New Testament. You are to be holy as I am holy. There's a reference to the Old Testament. It's actually found in a lot of places in the New Testament. It's found in the Gospels. It's found in the letters. It's found in in a host of places. A lot of different people in the the New Testament use it. The, the, The odd thing is, which time from Leviticus that it says, you're to be holy as I am holy, are they referencing? Because there's three different places with three very distinct contexts Where God calls for his people to be holy the same way that he is holy. And just for reminder, in case you either haven't been here or you've slept since then and have forgotten. So the three chapters, if you want to go back and look at them in context, are Leviticus 11, Leviticus 19 that we looked at together last week, and here in Leviticus 20. And so you have these three chapters, each one of them carrying with it the mandate of the declaration. You are to be holy as I am holy. That's the call. It's found three distinct times in the book of Leviticus, this being the third one here in Leviticus chapter 20. Now, interesting, Leviticus chapter 20 is actually an odd combination of Leviticus 18 and 19 together. It's almost like a a repetition, and we'll get to that in a second about why. But it's almost like a repetition of the two previous chapters, almost a synopsis or a summary of what has gone before. So just briefly, let's walk through what is where does the holiness of chapter 20 rest? So chapter 20 makes the declaration for us to be holy. So what are the things that chapter 20 is speaking to that would cause us to reflect the holiness of God? So first, there is a call for parents not to offer their children. And this time, uh, there's no confusion like there might have been in chapter 19, not to offer their children as a blood sacrifice to the false god Molech. Now, there's a lot of debate about who Molech is, what kind of deity Molech was. Some of the best scholarship that exists essentially views Molech as a, an ancient Near Eastern god of the underworld, if you will. They're uh, the god of death, sort of, if you, if you could allow for that. The place where the sacrificial fire would take place Interestingly enough, when translated into Aramaic from Hebrew is where we get our word Gehenna that carries with it the notion of hell in the New Testament. And so this is a connection to that of offering your children to that sort of deity. I wouldn't say that Molech is necessarily Satan, but if you were to kind of follow a pathway of thought process from the Old Testament into the New Testament, you could start to flirt with the edges of that. So this death God of the underworld whose children are consumed by fire. That's the idea here. So don't offer your children by blood sacrifice in the flame to Molech. That's the first thing that he gives as a way to be holy. The second thing that's listed here is not to turn to mediums and to spiritists. Don't. Gather your theological and spiritual information from people who are pagan. That's a when we walk through these and you kind of make them a little more concise. Almost all of these are going to be like, well, duh. Yeah, no brainer. Don't set your kid on fire to some false God. Don't go find your theological information from a pagan priestess or priest. That seems like a good way to go um, on this Father's Day. Don't curse your father and mother great way to be holy man it got real quiet real quick because everybody in the room is like man i'm gonna set my kids on fire to molek man i'm not gonna go to a medium or spirit oh father and mother hmm. there are very few people that i've ever met in my life who have completely and totally properly honored their father and mother throughout their whole lifetime I've maybe met one or two people who like legitimately like just never had any beef with their parents. And they were just always very honoring to them. They didn't break any of their rules. They did what they were told. They didn't talk back. They mouth off. I'm like, what foreign planet are you from? Because that was not my life. I definitely need to call and apologize to both my father and stepfather on this lovely Father's Day for all of my misbehavior in my youth. And I regularly thank and apologize to my mother for not killing me as a young man because she probably should have. So Don't curse your father and mother. You want to be holy? As God is holy, you want to be distinct and separate and sacred like God is distinct and separate and sacred, honor your father and your mother. Don't curse them. And this is actually the text where it gives parents the freedom to put their children to death when they do that. Man, that's 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 hardcore. In our world of time out, that's hardcore. <laughs> Just want to say. Fourth thing in this chapter that it talks about on how to be holy. The way that God is holy. Do not have inappropriate intimate relationships. The scripture lays out pretty plainly. How and when and with whom people are allowed to have Physical, intimate relationships. And there's a massive number of lists all throughout the Bible that make it as clear as possible who all the people are that you're not supposed to do that with. To summarize, if you want to be holy, don't have inappropriate physical, intimate relationships. Like we don't have to unpack that. I know a lot of people were very concerned about all the Q&A's they had at lunch a couple of weeks ago. So I'm trying to like not have that happen to you today. Philip, you will not believe when my six-year-old asked me. Oh Yeah, I will because we read it in the text. I have no doubt that that's what they ask you about. I'm just glad your kid was paying more attention than you. So if you can't say amen, say ouch. And then it closes, oddly enough, with a fifth way to be holy. And it gives the injunction again about clean and unclean animals. Which seems remarkably out of place given the rest of the list. Hey, don't set your kids on fire to a false underworld deity of death. Don't turn to medium and spiritists and high priests and. Precesses for your your theological education. Don't curse your father and mother. Don't have inappropriate, physically intimate relationships. Oh, and hey, watch the animals you eat just seems kind of out of place. But of course, it's a blood thing. And we've talked about how there's these issues in the Old Testament with the matter of blood and what animals engage blood in certain ways and which ones don't. So why the repetition? Why would you take sections of 18 and sections of 19, combine them together for a follow-up holiness chapter before you begin moving into other types of laws throughout the book of Leviticus? Well, I think, and, 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 and someone actually said it this morning, uh, just in kind of in conversation, um, repetition is the key to learning. That's the best way to learn is to do something over and over again or hear something over and over again. And and what is being dealt with here in Leviticus 20? These are some of life's greatest draws into temptation. I want you to consider the categories. So we have the specifics and the specifics unnerve us sometimes. So let's consider the categories. There's four major categories of potential sin here in Leviticus 20. Let's see how well this resonates with everyone. First, category of Temptation. I am tempted to treat and raise my children how I want rather than how God wants. And some of you here don't have kids. And that's okay. Those of you who do have children. There's a way that God wants you to engage your children. There's a way that God wants you to try and teach them and to try to instruct them and to try to display holiness to them. There's a patience that God wants you to have with your children. And the New Testament says fathers and mothers don't provoke your children to wrath. Through the kind of discipline that you give them and the way that you try to show them the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's one of the responsibilities of parents. Throughout the Old Testament, it says that you're to model for your children in the way that you live your life. Christ likeness. There's a way that God wants you to engage your children. And then there's a way that you want to engage your children. And they're often not the same. They're often not the same. And so this call to not sacrifice your children to Molech is really the most extreme example possible of not using and or abusing your children to your own benefit, but rather living with your children in such a way that you honor God. Because let's think through what's really happening when these people sacrifice their children to Molech. I don't care about the well-being of my children. I care about my own advancement And security and I'll sacrifice my children to get that for myself if I have to. That's what they're doing to the extreme when they sacrifice their children to Molech. My children are now viewed in my mind as a bargaining chip for my greatness. That's what's happening here. Friends, that's not the way God wants us to engage our children. Our children are not to be viewed as a bargaining chip to enhance our own greatness. That's not holy. And friends, I know that it's harsh and it's sharp and it's severe and it's difficult pill to swallow. But the vast majority of American parenting is people using their children as bargaining chips to enhance their own greatness. Force feeding children through a host of things. That they don't care anything about. That they don't want to be a part of. Under the spiritual guise of, well, I'm trying to expose them to the best things possible. The things I never got to be a part of. I want their life to be better than my life was. Is it because you really want their life to be better than your life was? Or do you vicariously want to exalt your own status by, look at how great my children have turned out and the wonderful things that they're doing. Look, I know my child's being sacrificed, but Molech will be pleased with me. That's a great temptation. It's a great draw. Second great temptation. Is to seek out spiritual counsel that suits me rather than transforms me. That's the mediums and the spiritists. It's one thing, friend, to seek out wise counsel. Because the scripture says you should do that. Excuse me. It's one thing to seek out wise counsel. It's another thing to keep asking as many people as possible until you find the answer that you want it to hear. And the most successful mediums and spiritists aren't the ones who got it right. They're the ones who say things that make you want to come back and pay them again. And the ones that make you want to come back and pay them again are the ones that affirm you in everything that you're doing without challenging you on anything that you're doing wrong. If the spiritual counsel that you're receiving in your life is regularly counsel that does not challenge you and does not change you, then you, in an unaware sort of way, have sought the counsel of mediums and spiritists. In the New Testament, it talks about surrounding yourself with teachers who tickle your ears. And friends, that's a great draw. I would rather sit in a room with a bunch of people who are going to tell me how awesome I am. Than to tell me how much stuff I need to repent of. I would rather sit in a room with a lot of people who are going to affirm me in all of my actions Rather than people who call me out on my madness and foolishness. Because when people call you out on your stuff, sometimes you have to change and change is hard. But when people affirm you in all of your life actions, you just keep getting to be the way that you are now. And that's really easy. It's a great temptation. What else? Third. There is a draw. A draw. To disregard all authority that exists in my life. Here they use the extreme version of cursing your father and your mother. But there is a tendency in the broken human heart. To try to throw off all authority. Friends, this isn't a new Western American thing. This has been the way that it's been in all cultures, in all times, in all places since the fall. I'm going to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. And no one is going to tell me otherwise. No one. My parents aren't going to tell me. My boss isn't going to tell me. My spouse isn't going to tell me. Those people who have influence in my life aren't going to tell me. And boy howdy as an American, the government sure isn't going to tell me. Listen, I'm glad to live in America and with the freedoms that we have. And I'm not speaking to the rightness or wrongness of the events that led to the establishment of the United States when I make the statement that I'm about to make. But America was birthed. In rebellion against the authority that existed over it at the time. Now sometimes that's proper. Scripture makes that clear. Sometimes that is proper. But make no mistakes. We were part of a cultural society that had a king. And from 3,000 miles away we thumbed our nose at the king and said you're not our king anymore. That might be right, that might be wrong, but that's what happened. And if you look around, particularly at American culture, we've kind of sort of been that way ever since. Most denominations that have been birthed in the world, do you know where they've been birthed? Under the umbrella of American religious freedom. Why? Because, listen, these people are saying this is how we're going to do this in this church. I don't want to do it like that in this church. Go, we'll just start a new church. You got two or three generations of that church and they start doing something you don't want them to do. I don't like how they're doing that. You know you can't have that blue carpet. We've got to have red carpet. I'm starting a new church. The 15th Baptist Church of the red carpet. That's what we're doing. You laugh about it, but go look. The denominational book in the United States of America is over 50,000. Most of them splitting over nonsense. They didn't want any authority in their life. It's a great draw. It's a great temptation in my life. To puff my chest out and to wag my finger in someone's face and say, how dare you try to tell me how to live my life? You're not the boss of me. I'm in charge of my own existence and all manner of other ridiculous, individualized, self-centered things that we can scream out into the universe. Knowing full well that all of us are under the absolute control of a sovereign God. We cannot even take a breath, but he allows it. And we want to shake our fist at every other authority that he's given us in our lives. That's what we want to do. It's a great temptation. And then finally, the, to like lump the largest of the sections together. There's a great temptation to seek my own pleasure at all times and in all ways, rather than exercise any form of proper restraint. All of these texts in here about physical intimacy, that's what that's about. And to an extent, the kind of animals you can eat and can't eat under that law. That's both a combination of authority and uh, seeking my own pleasure. There's a temptation for us to seek our own pleasure at all times and all ways. Modern advertising. Modern advertising. In America. Burger King. Have it your way. I learned a really radical lesson when I spent some time doing some mission stuff in overseas contexts, even in Europe. You walk into a Burger King or a McDonald's in Europe. And you start trying to do that nonsense that we do here in America. Hey, yeah, I would like that. What, uh, could you leave the tomatoes off and maybe put some mustard on there instead of the ketchup? A guy across the counter is going to look at you and be like, no. Like, what do you mean, no? This is how we make this sandwich. Do you want it like this or not? If not, order something else. You say they're not going to talk to you like that. Oh, yes, they will. I'd be like, okay, uh, are the chicken nuggets the same? Yeah, okay, I'll just give me the chicken nuggets because I'm not going to eat the sandwich like that. Well, then you don't need to order the sandwich. But in America, hey, listen, that sauce that you put on this thing over here, could you not put it on that one and instead put it on this one? And could you sub out the meat with that kind of meat? Like, I'm going to just create a whole brand new sandwich that's not even on your menu. And could you figure out like a way to charge me the regular price for that? That's what we do in America. Because we want to seek our own pleasure at all times and in all ways rather than exercise any proper restraint. And I'm making a funny joke about it with the ordering of sandwiches at restaurants. But friends, everything that was listed in here, particularly about physical intimacy, is a lack of restraint. I want to do what I want to do with my body whenever I want to do it and no one has the right to tell me otherwise. It's the slamming together of authority and pleasure and that's what this chapter is dealing with and in the middle of all of those temptations of how to do the family the way i want to do it and how i want to do spiritual life the way i want to do it and how i want to regard or disregard authority and how i want to pursue pleasure or not pursue pleasure in the middle of all of these restrictions there is a centralized call to be holy the way that god is holy Friends, God's not trying to spoil your fun. God's trying to cause you to bear his image the way that you ought to. God did not save us to be what we want to be. He saved us to be what we ought to be. And there's a way in my fallen, sinful nature that I want to be. And there's a way in my redeemed, Christ-like nature that I ought to be. And those two are rarely ever the same. So let's see what the New Testament has to say about this. If you would, flip forward to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. I want us to kind of walk through a few sections in the New Testament just to get a feel for... Um, how the New Testament helps to address this, these holiness issues. So First Peter chapter 1. It's really a small section <clears throat> in First Peter, but I, I want us to look at the whole chapter to get context. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who were chosen... According to the foreknowledge of God, the father, by the sanctifying work of his spirit to do what to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours to the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. Really expansive way of saying that our salvation is a holy salvation. Reserved in heaven for you. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice even though now for a little while if necessary you have been distressed by various trials. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable even though tested by fire. May be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible, full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. As to the salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the spirit of Christ within them within them was indicating that he was predicted in the sufferings of Christ and the glories that were to follow. It was revealed to them. That they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which the angels long to look. Now, this is all about the gospel. So here comes the holiness because there's going to be a reference in verse 16 to being holy the way God is holy. Therefore, all right, so all that's true about the gospel and the preaching of the gospel and uh, the holiness of transformation that has taken place. Therefore, prepare your minds For action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of of Jesus Christ. As obedient children. Do not be conformed to the former lusts which you were which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. If you address as follow the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during your time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And since you have in obedience, like the third time he said that, by the way. Just want to throw that out there. Obedience is substantially important to our reflection of holiness in the kingdom of God. Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. For if you've been born again not of seed which is perishable but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass. All of its glory like the flower of grass. And the grass withers and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. And if we had time. If you walk through the rest of First Peter. He covers in basic form some version of these four categories of temptation addressed to us in Leviticus chapter 20. He talks about honoring the king. He talks about what family relationships should be like. He talks about purity of physical relationships. He talks about what authority should look like in our lives and where we should receive spiritual instruction. He covers basically for the rest of the chapters the enhancement of what it means to be holy in Christ by way of the gospel, by basically affirming to us, these temptations still abide. And we must put off the old man and put on the new one. One who yields to the things of God in Christ. Now, if you would flip over to First Thessalonians. Chapter four. First Thessalonians, chapter four. We won't get into it today, but for context, the letters of First and Second Thessalonians are a demonstration of how awful things can be when you have really bad eschatology, because that's what's going on with these people. Their view of the return of Christ was so skewed that they train wrecked all kinds of stuff in their life. So when people say, "Well, you know, eschatology really does not matter that much," it didn't Thessalonica. People quit their jobs and went and sat on hills, waiting around, staring at the sky, waiting for Jesus to come back. He'll be here any day. I don't have to work anymore and feed my family. It was crazy. They were newspaper eschatology people. Look at the signs being fulfilled. Can't say amen, say ouch. First Thessalonians chapter four, beginning of verse one. This is what it says. Finally, then, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus That as you received from us instruction as how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you will excel all the more. Now, I'm going to pause here for a second because you won't actually have the phrase be holy like I'm holy here. But being holy the way that God is holy is a call to walk in the image of God. To reflect God as you ought to. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about here. There's a way you're supposed to walk. Here it is. So let's see what he has to say. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. All right, now that's a bold statement. That's only half a statement, but it's a bold statement. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Philip, what does it mean to be sanctified? What's the will of God from life? Well, I know at least one spot in the New Testament that explicitly says this is the will of God for your life. And here it goes. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not with lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man transgress, transgress and defraud his brother in the matter Because the Lord is the avenger of all these things, just as we told you before and solemnly warns you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed... You do practice it toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, to excel still more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and that no one will be in need. Okay. so when you look through this first half of this part of this chapter, what is he talking about? He's like, listen, you need to submit to authority, namely the authority of God. You need to submit to the authority of the word that's been preached to you so that you receive good spiritual instruction from the right places. You need to make sure that you live a life of purity that's empty of of inappropriate, physically intimate relationships, that they are done in a right and justifiable manner. You need to put your own pleasures in check and follow the way that God would have these things to be for you. You need to be concerned about your overall family, but particularly your family of faith. And you need to honor them. Friends, this is a synopsis of Leviticus chapter 20, but in the Christian's life through Christ. It comes down to friends and we'll close in a second with piecing it all together, but it comes down to friends. There's a way for you to treat your family. There's a way for you to respect authority. There's a way for you to seek out proper spiritual counsel. There's a way for you to avoid a hedonistic lifestyle that is only driven by your own pleasure. If you want to be holy, there's a way to pursue holiness. And it's not to pursue those other things. So let's piece it all together. Finding our holiness. Where do we want to find it? Per the text in Leviticus chapter 20 and per a lot of things that we've seen in the New Testament. I want to get real specific. Finding our holiness in our homes. This text that we've just read in Leviticus 20 where it talks about being holy the way that God is holy, deals with two major things. One, how do we engage the lives of our children in our spiritual existence? Two, the proper and improper use of intimate relationships, which is supposed to be found per the scripture, predominantly as it's stated in the New Testament, in the marital context. The key place, hear me this morning. If you are married. Whether you have children or not. If you are married. The key place to display your holiness. Is in your marriage. Above every other place. If you are married with children. The key place for you to display your holiness. Is in the life of your marriage. And the lives of your children. I don't mean to exclude those of you here today who are not married and who do not have children. But given that that is the largest context of most people in the United States, most people in this crowd this morning, I want to close by pointing out if you want to be holy the way that God is holy, you will display that sacred set apart nature In the way you treat your spouse and the way you and your spouse treat your children. Hear me this morning and I'm going to I'm going to state something. It's going to be very aggressive. It's not going to sit well. It's not going to taste well. It's going to put a really bad flavor in the back of some people's throats. I really don't care. I just don't. You cannot claim to love God and hate your spouse. I'm just gonna let it sit there for a second. Because everybody in the room just got really uncomfortable. Because our society is filled with disdain for marriage. Our churches are filled with disdain for marriage. The train wreck of a problem that we have in the LGBTQ plus community right now is a direct result of the church's disdain for marriage. Because years ago, I had a lovely conversation with a friend of mine who's a part of that community. And he said to me without pause and hesitation. Philip, I could take seriously what you're saying about God's call To monogamous, covenantal, heterosexual marriage. If it wasn't for the fact that statistically, marriages are just as much of a train wreck in the church, if not worse than they are anywhere else. You don't care about straight marriages. Why would you care about gay ones? And you know what I had to say? Ouch. That's what I had to say. Because the church, by and large, has had great disregard for the sanctity of the marital relationship that is supposed to reflect the picture of Christ and His church. And what we've done is we've yielded to people's longing for immediate pleasure. They don't make me happy anymore. Your marriage isn't about your happiness, it's about your holiness. Should I just stay in a situation that makes me mad and sad all the time? Yes, you should. Say, Philip, that's terrible. All of my therapists and counselors. Are I don't care what they say. God says your marriage is for life. God says you choose to love other people. God says, if you're going to be holy the way I'm holy, you will pour your intentional love into the person who is your spouse. And don't dare say you love me who you've not seen if you don't love the person who sleeps in the house with you that you see every day. Don't dare do it. And then we pour that disdain into our children. They're either these things that are in the way that we can't wait for them to hurry up and get out of our house. Or they're these tools that we use to try to satisfy some longing from our childhood to make our lives complete by living vicariously through them, sacrificing them to the modern Molech. And then we look around and we wonder why the modern Western American church is so unholy and so unrighteous and so ineffective in the gospel. It's because we don't take seriously God's call to be holy. And where is the prime place that God has called us to be holy? If you're married, it's in your marriage. And if you have children, second place to your marriage is your kids. That's where you're supposed to be holy. And Leviticus chapter 20 spends an awful lot of time talking about what you're supposed to do with your kids and who you should and shouldn't be sleeping with. And I know that's very direct. But the church needs to be a little more direct on this. All throughout the Old Testament, it talks about God's love for Israel as a husband's love for his wife. And God's broken heart over his people playing the harlot that was used even in today's text. Committing spiritual adultery with the other gods when those gods are nothing and the true God who really loves them is everything. And then when we turn to the New Testament. It says, husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There's no asterisk there. Well, until she starts acting crazy and then you can do whatever you want to do. That's not what it says. In fact, if we had kept reading First Peter. When you get to First Peter chapter 3. He talks about marriages that aren't going so great. And he talks about how you can still be holy. Even when your marriage is not the way it's supposed to be. And how do you do that? Self-sacrifice like Jesus. I thank God that Jesus still loves me in spite of my waywardness and sin. Because if he responded to me, the way most of us respond to our spouse in marriage, I would have been out a long time ago. Because while I am faithless, he is still faithful. Friends, that's called being holy. Holy. And then Christ looks at us and says, look at what I'm doing for you. I'm not throwing you out. I'm not casting you aside. I still love you. I still do good for you. I'm still for you. You're still in my father's hand because I placed you there and no one can take you from it. Because I am sovereign even over your waywardness. And there's nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. that is to be found in God the Father. Nothing, the scripture says. And then he looks at us and he says, I want you to be holy like I'm holy. Hey, married people, you got to be with your spouse the way that Christ is with you. Whoa. And when you are that way and God blesses you and that brings about new life and you have kids. You can't provoke them to wrath. You can't sacrifice them to the god Molech. You can't use them as instruments and tools in your game of animosity against each other. So, what do I do, though? What, What do I do? You do what the scripture tells you to do. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Parents, do not provoke your children to wrath. Children, honor your father and your mother. And if you are a Christian and you do those things, guess what? You are displaying the holiness of God. Say, Philip, that's hard. No, it's not hard, it's impossible. It's impossible. You cannot do what I just said in your own strength. If you could, we wouldn't need the gospel. If you could, we wouldn't need the word of God calling us to these things, telling us that it comes from the power of the spirit and submission to the gospel that's been preached to us. She's not here this morning. She's home not feeling well. I guarantee you, my wife cannot love someone like me and respect me and honor me as wretched as I am in her own strength. I know this. And every day, in every moment of every day, when she honors me and she respects me and she shows love to me, it is a display of the sovereign power of God in her life, letting her show holiness. Holiness. Because I know I'm a hard man to live with. I know I am. And on those remarkably rare occasions where she's a difficult woman to live with, God in his kindness lets me display some gospel holiness when I still love her anyway. Praise be to God. I don't have to do it as much as she does. Praise God. Everybody's at a different place on their sanctifying journey. She's way further down the road than I am. But friends, you say, Philip, why do you want to hammer this this morning? Because this is an entire chapter. Mostly dedicated to. What do we do with our kids and what do we do with our most intimate relationship, our marriage bed? And in the middle of that, there's a call from God. One of the most quoted things from the Old Testament. Be holy as I am holy. And it's right there in the middle of that. And friends, every day, every moment of every day across churches all over this great world, especially in this great land, there are people who are thumbing their nose at being holy. Why? Because they want to raise their family the way that they want to rather than how God wants They want to seek spiritual counsel that suits them rather than transforms them. They want to disregard all the authority that's been placed in their life. And they want to seek their own pleasure at all times and own ways rather than exercising proper restraint. They want to pursue unholiness rather than holiness. They want to pursue happiness rather than holiness. They want to pursue ease of life. Rather than the difficult road of righteousness. The path of the kingdom of God is narrow and hard to walk on. Few there are who find it, Jesus said. Broad and easy is the way that leads to destruction. And many are there who go down it. Friends, it is no accident that right here in Leviticus... And I want you to see this, just quickly as we close. I want you to see this. It is no accident or mistake at all that we have the instruction in chapter 16 and 17 on atonement and what it means to stand right before God immediately followed by chapters 18, 19, and 20. I want my sin to be atoned for. And God makes great atonement for your sin. And now he calls your life to be holy. Because if you've been atoned for, you are now a holy vessel. The blood sacrifices of the Old Testament were never made to leave things common and profane. The blood sacrifices of the Old Testament were made to make things holy. Friend, you have received the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And he has not sacrificed his blood to leave you profane and common. He has made his blood sacrifice to make you holy. And what does that look like? What does holiness look like? Very first thing in Leviticus after the atonement is laws on relationships. Holiness is not some sort of spiritual thing that you do offering things up to God. Friend, God doesn't need anything from you. But your neighbor does. Your spouse does. Your kids do. Your parents do. Your co workers do. Your neighbors do. You want to show that you are holy and have been atoned for? There's a reason why the vast majority of the laws of God are not how we act toward God, but rather how we act toward other people. They are the ones who need our holiness. And, friends, there's a place where it starts. And if you're married and if you have kids, that is the epicenter. Of the display of your holiness. That's where the world should see it the most. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you. Thank you for very difficult passages like this one. Father, thank you for these things that challenge us deeply. Father, you have called for us to be holy as you are holy. You've sent Christ into the world to die as a sacrifice for our sins, that we might be set apart, that we might be sanctified, that we might be called saints, the holy ones of God. Father, forgive us when we pursue our own happiness and delight in ease of living, Rather than pursuing holiness. Father, let it be displayed in our most intimate of relationships. Those that you have given to us that reflect the glory of Christ. Father, forgive us. Forgive us. When we make light of the sacredness of the things that you've supplied for us. When we shun our relationships, when we disregard those covenantal things that you have established, when we belittle the worth of the gospel for our own pleasure's sake. Father, forgive us. And Father, I pray that if in the midst of this sermon we found offense, We didn't like how it was portrayed. Father, I pray that we would properly turn that offense to self-examination. And that we would see. That you demand holiness of your people. And that our display of the glory of Christ. Has eternal consequences. And that we would be conformed. To his image. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing a song of response together this morning.